0: I count it a great pleasure and, indeed, privilege to be here preaching to you today. Um, I've been here to this church before, though I'm not from Wales. I was on the first intake of the Evangelical Movement of Wales Ministers Training Course before I decided to uh, go to the United States and study there. And one Sunday evening, we were taken here to the Heath back in 1972. So it's a long time ago, but here we are today. And we've also benefited too from the ministry of your pastor. A couple of Sundays earlier this year, my wife and I were sick. And so we, uh, we uh, eavesdropped through the, 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 the live feed and greatly benefited from it and enjoyed it. So thank you for your ministry win. 1 John chapter 3, see what kind of love our fa- the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Because of this the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it is not yet made clear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. This is something of an aside by John. Uh, It's a parenthesis, a comment which he makes in the midst of his argument, not that his argument is straightforward, John has a habit of darting all over the place, much like um, our own conversations often do. But this is a particularly striking interlude and it's one worth examining. Uh, There's firstly a note here of amazement see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God. It's a statement which is intended perhaps more than anything to be evocative, to bring about in those who read this letter in the first century and indeed for those down the centuries that follow a response of wonder, of amazement, of thanksgiving, a gasp, we might say, of absolute, absolute amazement. Now, it implies, of course, indeed it entails, that not all people are the children of God. See what kind of love the Father has given us. What amazing, astonishing and incredible love that we should be called the children of God, it entails the fact that this is not a universal characteristic, not at least in the sense which John is describing it. Now there is of course a sense in which one can say that all human beings are the children of God in the sense that we are his creatures. And God has made the human race to be absolutely central to his internal purposes, so much so that in eternity he determined himself to become incarnate in Christ. Before the foundation of the world, God decided to take human nature into union with himself, in his Son, by the Holy Spirit, and the purpose of the Father. So there is that sense when humanity as such is, to say it's immensely privileged, would be an understatement. But nevertheless, what John is talking about here is that, is something slightly different. Namely, that the privilege of being children of God in the sense uh, which he is going to describe is something which is peculiar to those who belong to Jesus Christ and not universally effective in each and every individual in the human race. Indeed, Paul can say in Ephesians that <coughs> those who are unbelievers and those who um, are outside Christ are the children of wrath, Subject to the judgment of God which is going to fall inevitably upon the whole world and indeed John himself it records Jesus in this is the gospel chapter 8 as saying of his opponents that you are the children of the devil the point however is this that a child takes on the characteristics of the parent the ancestors and we are so familiar with that. Baby is born and uh, as soon as the baby appears in public, uh, people crowd around and say, oh yes, he or she is like, like their father or the mother. Or... And then later on, characteristics of grandparents and others appear too. And we're familiar with identifying those kind of family characteristics. Uh, I'm supposed to look very much like my father and my uncle. And I think my son looks quite a bit like me. Uh, and if we have children, we'll know that um, those, those kind of features, not only physical appearance, but also character uh, and other traits too, for good or ill, um, show, show themselves at some stage. So here John is saying that we, as the Church of Jesus Christ, have certain characteristics which resemble the parent, which are like God, we might say, on a human level. Now he may well be saying this in view of the rather supercilious and negative comments of the opponents of the church to which we mentioned earlier. These were the people who boasted a special knowledge They were the the intelligentsia. They had come to special uh, revelation in some way or other, special knowledge which they considered set them apart from the rank and file and to which the ordinary members of the church were not privy. Uh, It's interesting that in this particular letter, John says we know 55 times to assert the fact that it that indeed it is the true church of Jesus Christ and its members who know that they belong to him, who have the truth, who are in that true relation with God. And the heretics, in fact, have undermined the whole thing. They have rejected the incarnation, they have gone wrong on the person of Christ, Uh, they have, in effect, denied the gospel. And so here he is reinforcing the point that indeed the ones who are truly privileged are not those who boast in their own special knowledge. The truly uh, privileged ones are those who belong to God, who trust in Jesus Christ, who have the Holy Spirit, who assert and believe and maintain the truth of the gospel. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. We know that we have passed from death to life because we believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. But this is a statement designed, above all, as I say, to bring about amazement. And it's almost beyond analysis. See what kind of love the Father has granted to us that we should be called the children of God. He said something rather similar in the Gospel. God, shows his, God loved the world, he says, in this way, in this manner, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the kind of love the Father has given. The love to give to those who were destined, it appeared, to perish, who were lost in their sin, who, in relation to the God who is not only the living God, He is life itself. He is. Vibrant and brimful of life, eternally. And he had given to Adam and his wife life on this limited human level. And they had rebelled against him. And in doing so, they opted for death rather than life. The wages of sin, indeed, the reward for sin is death because it is rebellion against the God who is life itself. And it's to those people, to those who were perishing, that God has, has granted eternal life, everlasting life, indestructible life in relation to God himself. Life that will never perish, never be eroded, never be undermined. Never be snuffed out. This is the kind of love the Father has given, and in doing so, that we should be called the children of God. That, as we mentioned this morning, we should share the relation to the Father that the Son has. A relation which he has in and of himself by nature eternally, but which we should share by adoption, by grace, and be introduced into such a relation that we can call God our, our Father and live in union with him. Amazement. And we should never grow tired of that. It's, it would be tragic if we took that for granted. It would be tragic if we, if we regarded us as something less than the utterly utterly stupendous statement and reality which it actually is. Now secondly, John refers to concealment. Here is this amazing status which we have, but nevertheless it is hidden. It is concealed. He says, because of this, the world does not recognize us because it did not recognize, it did not know him. The world does not acknowledge this. For the world as a whole, Christians are simply other people. Uh, maybe they are held out to be highly estimable people. Sometimes they would be regarded as a little odd or cranks but they're simply ordinary everyday people just like we are. The status which we have of the children of God is something which is simply not evident. (coughs) There's an interesting little comment We read in John chapter 1, given by John the Baptist concerning Jesus. When John the Baptist was baptizing, he said to those who had come to him, there stands among you someone you do not know. One whose true identity is incognito. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Now suppose... Suppose at suddenly the Tardis appeared here and we got into it and uh, there we were, we were transported back into the first century and we were, we got out and there was John the Baptist and there were a whole group of people gathered round and there was Jesus or perhaps some other time in Palestine, there was Jesus teaching his disciples and his Would you recognize Jesus immediately? No, almost certainly not. He would appear just like an an ordinary person. In other words, if you were to say, (coughs) for example, Jesus and six apostles went for a meal together, you'd say there were seven people went there. It took, in fact, a revelation by God to convince Peter of the true identity of Jesus Christ. Who do you say that I am, Jesus said. Some say uh, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. To which Jesus replied, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father in heaven. Jesus was the Son of God, but he was incognito. He appeared just like anyone else. It took the revelation of the Holy Spirit to persuade and convince of of who he actually is and ever was. And indeed, moreover, the world rejected him when he taught and when he confronted them with their sin. The world did not acknowledge him. It was blinded to his true reality. Uh, Jesus, in fact, in John chapter 8, on a number of occasions, says to his opponents, you do not recognize, you do not acknowledge me. You you cannot, in fact, do so because you, you're blind. You, the sin has affected you. I remember I was... Um, my wife were in the Academy of Music in Philadelphia, which was the old concert hall of the Philadelphia Orchestra, listening to a magnificent performance of Mahler Das Lied von der Erde with Simon Rattle, who was conducting, uh, a guest conductor at the time. Wonderful performance. And there was a man sitting a couple of rows in front who was looking around, yawning and actually um, picking his ears, uh, and most uh, inappropriate kind of action for such an event. It was quite evident that he did not have the capacity to appreciate the wonderful music, the the, the poignant and sad and tragic music which there was evident in, in in that work of Mahler. His he just wasn't able to get it. And similarly, the world does not get it. It is incapacitated by its own bias against God. It's choice for death rather than life. A choice, I might say, which is evident all around us. Abortion, euthanasia, and 101 other factors which exemplify a culture of death which is the consequence of trajectories which are running alien to the purposes of God so then the world does not acknowledge did not acknowledge Jesus and so it does not acknowledge us because the parent the child takes after the parent underlying this you see is the idea of union with Christ christians as members of the church, are united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. He is not only the one who represented us on the cross, who died in our place, but we were there with him and in him. Paul can say that in Romans and elsewhere. Don't you realise we died with Christ and we were raised with him in baptism to newness of life. He's not only our legal representative, But there is this dynamic characteristic as well whereby what he did then is something in which we are enabled to participate by the Holy Spirit. So that now he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, Paul can say, we are seated with him in heavenly places. And so just therefore as Jesus was imposed a placably by the world around him which did not recognize his true identity so it is today. Perhaps that's why in the Eastern Church, the Greek Church um, in its art and iconography it painted the saints uh, with solid yellow halos around their heads to denote the fact that they were in the process of being transformed by the Holy Spirit into the image of Christ. We don't go around seeing each other with solid yellow halos. We appear to each other just as Bill Smith or Jane Brown or whatever, ordinary people. That's the reality, but it's a reality which is hidden from people's eyes. The work of the Holy Spirit is not something which they are capable of detecting. So then, John is saying, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised if the world around you regards the Christian faith as something to be suppressed, as something to be rejected, as something to be regarded as dangerous, which indeed it is dangerous, dangerous to the prevailing views, of course it is, but they regard it as dangerous in other ways too. Don't be surprised about it, because at root there is this this antipathy which stems from the lack of recognition of the true states of affairs as they actually are. In our country, it's been probably for for, for generations, centuries, somewhat obscured by the fact that the Christian faith had taken root centuries ago and has become part of the substructure of our whole culture. And now that it's being eroded, these realities are coming to the surface in a very apparent way. There's a radical difference John says in this letter between the children of God and the children of the world. Light and darkness are the words he uses. They're opposites. It's not evident to the world what we are. But moreover it's not evident to us what we shall be in the future. Listen to see, see what John says. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it is not yet manifest, not yet made clear what we shall be. Not yet. It would certainly transform church relationships if we pictured people in our congregation with solid golden halos around their head it might transform our views of some who we regard as a little bit difficult to realize that they too are in the process of being changed. I remember there was my first church, there was an elder who's now uh, passed on who was notoriously difficult. He was town clerk of the uh, uh, neighborhood of the local uh, authority and had a reputation throughout the state. The former pastor said to me on one occasion, yes, he's a difficult difficult chap, but you should see his relatives. Uh, Once he he was invited by this elder to a funeral, um, and wow, his relatives tore into him ruthlessly. He was, in other words, a work in progress, as indeed we all are. It's not yet clear what we shall be, John says. Not yet clear to us. Just as it's not clear to the world who we really are now, so it's not clear to us what we shall be eventually. This concealment. You see, we're living in two spheres. We're living in the world which is in many ways a mess. It's a mess politically. Sometimes it's a mess in our own lives. We find difficulty. I know someone who says when you ask them what, how they're doing, well we're just plodding on. And for many of us that's what it is. Life is plodding on. In the midst of a lot of obstacles. And we, above all, we have to deal with ourselves. We have to deal with the fact that we ourselves are simply pilgrims on the way. We've not yet got there. We're struggling with so many sins and so many weaknesses of character as well. And we, of course, bear the ravages of sin in our bodies. We begin to decay. We find that we have increasing ill health and there's those kind of things to tackle as too. And we remember, too, that Um, just as Jesus, divine glory was concealed during his earthly life, he was a man of sorrows, he was acquainted with grief. So we too, in a different way, are living in that kind of world. So our identity and our status is hidden from ourselves. Our life, Paul says, is hidden with Christ in God. That's our true ultimate identity. In union with Christ, in union communion with God. We're seated in the heavenly places. But we have to pay the mortgage and we may have a difficult boss and we've got medical appointments lined up of quite serious nature, and we're suffering bereavement perhaps, and we're a little bit uncertain about what the future may hold, and we perhaps might have to deal with one or two problems of our own as well. So we're living in two realms. The realm in which we inherit from Adam, from our parents, the realm in which all humans live at this in, this, in this realm, but simultaneously we're being renewed in Christ, united to him, and therefore that status is greatly hidden. So these two factors therefore currently conceal the reality of our true status and identity. Um, It's not evident to the world what we are now. It's not evident to us what we shall be. But finally, there is future revelation. Verse 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God. It's not yet clear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In other words there's going to be a change, a radical change, a change which in principle has already begun but will be brought to fruition at the point in the future which God himself has set but to us is as yet unknown. When Christ appears, when he appears at his coming, at his return, at a date set by God. There will be a transformation. It will occur at the resurrection. When Christ comes back and we are raised, we will be transformed. As Paul says, there will be a change in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Whether we sleep or are still alive, we shall be all be changed. He says in Philippians that we, uh, the body of our, uh, our lowly present humble body, a body which begins to weaken at a fairly early age, the body cells begin to die off, they're replaced but things get worse and eventually we die. This body, this body which one day will lie in the grave will be raised and transformed to be like Christ. A change will occur. And we shall see him as he is, he says. He will return in glory. It will be fully evident that he is the Son of God, that he is the eternal God, that he is the one who created the universe, one with the Father from eternity. You have some kind of sneak previews of that in the New Testament. There's the appearance of Jesus, the risen Christ, to Paul on the road to Damascus. Such a bright light shone around him, Paul fell to the ground blinded for three days. And some scholars have suggested very plausibly, that in that period, Paul received uh, virtually the entirety of the theology, his understanding of the gospel and of Christ, which he expressed later on in his letters. But it had this tremendous effect upon him. And then there's John in Revelation. The the glorified Christ appeared to him on the Isle of Patmos, and he fell down as though he was dead. It knocked the life out of him. It was more than he could bear, more than he could take. And Jesus reaches down and touches him and says, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am he who lives and became dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. He raised him to his feet. But it was more than he could, he was able to, to bear in his present condition. We shall see him as he is. As the hymn writer put it, not in that poor lowly stable with the oxen standing by, we shall see him. But in heaven, really, here on earth, glorified as he really is. And that's not all, for John says, we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. We ourselves will be transformed to be like the glorified Christ. Our bodies as they are will be transformed. Paul describes this, 1 Corinthians, now, the present body is sown in weakness. body according to the flesh. It's sown in dishonour. It's perishable. The resurrection body will be imperishable. It'll be sown in power. It'll be governed by the Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. We will, in other words, we will be living in the what one writer put it, the atmosphere, we might have to say, of the Holy Spirit, who will, it, who will bring about our whole humanity to be as God originally intended it to be. We're not going to be restored to the situation which Adam had before the fall. No, it's far, far greater than that. Sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. That does not mean mater- not non-material. It does not mean there'll be no flesh and bones. It means it's more than material. It's a material body which is energized by, directed by God, the Holy Spirit. We shall be like Christ, like the glorified Christ. For we have been foreordained to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn, the preeminent one, among many brothers. We all, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed, Paul says in Second Corinthians, from one degree of glory to another, by the Spirit of the Lord, or as Charles Wesley put it, and we sang ourselves, changed from glory into glory, till in heaven. There you have it. John Calvin put it this way. The goal of the gospel, he said, in second, his commentary on Second Peter, is to make us sooner or later like God. That's astonishing. It doesn't mean we cease to be human. The context of Second Peter is ethical. Perseverance, love, grace, exemplifying those characteristics of God which we as humans can possess. Mercy, grace, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, Self-control, in the fullest sense. Not in any sense sullied or diluted by our own inability or weakness, but rather in their fullest expression, as God has from eternity planned to effect it. Who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient? What is man that you are mindful of him, the psalmist says, or the son of man that you visited, made him a little lower than the angels, but yet you crowned him with glory and honor. Put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. We do not yet see that, the writer of Phoebus has already said. We don't yet see that, so palpably evident. But we see Jesus, who took our place, who assumed our nature, who lived as man, who subjected himself to the pressures and the sufferings incumbent in this world, but now has risen, transformed, and glorified. Brothers, he says, it's not yet evident what we shall be, but when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He who has this hope upon him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, Just one word, I've come across many Christians who as they look ahead to the future do so with great fear because they have been given to understand that there will be the day of judgment, which of course there will be, when every sin they have committed will be paraded before the moral universe to their shame and confusion and so they look ahead with a degree of trepidation, fear, anxiety. That is not so. Yes, the day of judgment will be a fearful day. As the psalmist said, the wicked will be turned into hell. There will be everlasting punishment there will be the wrath of God. But, for those who are in Christ, when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, we will already be glorified. We will have been transformed to be like the glorified Christ. As Paul says to the church at Corinth, don't you know, don't you know that we, The saints will judge the world. Aren't you aware of the fact that that we will judge angels? Perfect love casts out fear, John says, for fear has torment. Christ has paid the penalty of our sin. Christ has sent the Spirit to transform us bit by bit and ultimately fully and completely to be what God intends us to be, untrammeled by the trappings and the restrictions of our sinful world and our own remnants of corruption. And at that point, when we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is done in the body, we will be like Christ. In glory. Thanks be to God and it surely also is an onus upon each one of us to ensure that we are trusting in Christ ourselves. The stakes could not be higher. Let us pray. O God, our Father, we thank you for the wonders of your grace which surpass our own small abilities to express. Help us, we pray, as we struggle in this world. Strengthen us by your Spirit. Strengthen your church here and beyond and bring us at last to your everlasting kingdom.